What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sideline Stories. Today, I'm here with Parker Olson, founder of Forage, a brand that produces function-enhanced snacks. How are you doing today, Parker? What up? Talking throwback to high school days, and now we're out here in the real world doing our own thing. It's cool. Heard you, man. Can you start with a quick introduction of yourself and a little bit more about Forage, and then we'll get right into it? Totally, yeah. My name is Parker, as Brendan mentioned, we went to high school together. I'm the founder of a food, you know, consumer packaged good company named Forage, F-O-R-I-J. And what we do is we take um, extracts and powders of medicinal mushrooms. So mushrooms that have added benefits, they're totally legal, but like help your brain cells grow or, you know, give you added energy or strengthen your bones or are anti-inflammatory. And we put them into everyday foods to kind of help people seamlessly reap those benefits. Uh, so today our, our flagship and kind of go-to-market product has been a loose bag of granola, but the idea is to put them in all different, all different types of, of food formats. Very cool. And I wanted to say that, you know, people who might be listening to this have noticed that most of my, my guests on this podcast are individuals in the sports industry, whether it be athletes or entrepreneurs or attorneys or reporters. But I think you're one of your main connections to sports is that you're a two-time Ironman finisher. So let's start there. True. What made Um, you want to complete an Ironman? What was the training like? And maybe give us like one greatest challenge and one greatest takeaway that, you know, how does completing an Ironman help you run forage? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Um, and yeah, I will will just preface it like I'm not an athlete. I have, <laughs> I like going out with my friends and we like do athletic things and I'm always the least athletic person there. Um, so so that's just to say, like, if you're listening and you're interested in like triathlons, you're like, oh, I can't do that. Like, I'm not in good shape. Like, that's kind of bullshit. Like anybody could probably get up and in six months, go complete an Ironman. Um, and that was kind of it for me a, a little bit. Um, I moved out of Seattle and I didn't know anyone and like met some guys that I thought were cool at this like weekend uh, kind of trip. And they were talking about doing an Ironman and I was like, yeah, I'm in. And for me, it was really just like, let's try and make friends. And then I was like, oh shit, am I really going to do this? Um, And for me, it was cool because it was definitely a mental barrier where in my mind, you know, maybe what you're thinking, it's like, I I could never do that. Um, and I signed up and, you know, once you sign up, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to show up and I'm not going to die. Cause that would be hella embarrassing. Uh, so, so I need to get my shit together. And so, yeah, I, I trained for six months. Uh, I was six days a week, uh, one day of rest, three of those days or two a days. And it sounds more aggressive than it is like Monday through Friday is actually, was pretty chill. And then Saturday and Sunday were longer days. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a really cool mental mental barrier pass. So I, I raced in the Coeur d'Alene um, Ironman, and so it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then you run a marathon. Um, and yeah, for me, it, it was like the challenge is the consistency, right? And, and we'll maybe touch on this, but like you know, I'm big on LinkedIn, and it's like how do you post consistency? But it's the same thing with like the Ironman. Like it, the race day wasn't hard. It was it was training every day. And you know, I I know, I know you just ran the marathon. Like, would you say the same? Like like was the actual marathon hard, or what what was the hardest part about that? Yeah, I actually something you just said really stuck with me because when I told people that I was running the marathon, one of the most common responses I got was. Oh, I could never do that. And yeah. de- depending on what environment I was in, like if I was just, I don't know, 
out with some friends talking with someone who I may not ever see again, I kind of would just like laugh and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But like, if I was actually talking to someone, they're like, I could never do that. Like my response is like, you can though. And as Mm -hmm. corny as it sounds like the first step is really just actually believing that you can do it. Totally. Um, But yeah, like you said, the race itself is not the hardest thing. I totally agree with that. It was, it was the consistency aspect and, you know, sacrificing, you know, time, whether it's on the weekends or early mornings or late nights, I think that was the biggest thing for me, but I I did run the marathon, but I can't imagine, you know, swimming two and a half miles and biking over a hundred before doing that. But I definitely think that it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it was physically the hardest thing I've done in my life. And then mentally got to be up there as well. Cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point earlier, like, you know, how, like to me, I was working a full-time job building forage and training for the Ironman all at once. And I feel like it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know how, how I'm going to do this. And then you do it. And then you look back on it and you're like, Oh shit, I'm actually like more badass than I thought. And then that empowers you in the future to be like, what else do I think is like terrifying to do mm-hmm. that? I like now realize like I can do a lot more than I like mentally think I'm capable. Uh, so for me, the Ironman has been really impactful of just being like, okay, what like really fucking scares me? And then it's like, okay, like, damn, remember when you were really scared of Iron Man? And now you look back and you're kind of like, okay, like, damn, like, okay, I could probably get that next thing or that next goal, whatever it may be, physical or mental or career-wise or whatever. Um, So for me, it was kind of an unlock mentally. Very cool. And I definitely see how that's, you know, transitioned into like facing your fears and thinking about what is something that scares me or what is something that seems like it's so far in the distance or it's a goal that seems so far away but then you take the little steps every day to reach Mm -hmm. there um and then kind of transitioning over to forage i'd love to talk a little bit about kind of how you got to where you are today but i think maybe starting from the beginning what inspired you to create the company and yeah did you know that you always wanted to start your own company growing up? Like, do you come from, I know I've had a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and a lot of their times, like their mom or their dad is an entrepreneur and it's kind of almost like runs in the family, but I'd love to hear more about the beginning. Yeah. I was just kind of bored at work and I wanted some autonomy and, you know, I was always interested in starting a company, but there's no like way to do it. And I had messed around and tried starting a couple companies and then I kind of lost interest and they were good learnings because it was like, okay, like you need to be hella passionate about whatever you're doing because for anybody that's listening that wants to get into entrepreneurship, like the shit fucking sucks. Don't like, don't even think for a second that like this doesn't suck. Like it's really fulfilling, but it's not fun. <laughs> like I go home every day and it's just, I was just telling Brendan about some like fucking massive headache that I got called in as I'm getting on this podcast and I'm going to go have to deal with and it's going to train wreck my day. Um, but this is not fun. Um, but for me, I, long story short, I got into experimenting on my health. So I would, tried being vegan for 30 days. And part of that for me was like, I don't understand why people are vegan. I'm going to go do it and be like, why are people doing this? Mm-hmm. And I will say like, I felt pretty good. Like I felt healthy throughout that 30 day process. And then I was you know, thinking, okay, like what else am I not doing? Because I think it's strange or weird that I should try. And I really focused in on diets and nutritional regimens. For 18 months, I tried different nutritional regimens for 30 days at a time. And and the results like shouldn't have surprised me, but they did of like, whoa, like what you eat really impacts how you feel every day, like mind blown, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah, one of those kind of 30-day periods, I started supplementing with with uh, these kind of medicinal or functional mushrooms. Maybe some people have heard of a couple like lion's mane or chaga or cordyceps and you know, felt really good that month and then dove into the research and then 
kind of became like convicted and convinced like, hey, like people should get these into their diet, but people are very weird about mushrooms. They think mushrooms are gross. They don't know how to cook with them. And so we mm-hmm. thought, okay, how can we get them in, in, a, in an edible format that it already exists in a consumer's eating habits, right? So like people eat granola or like eat cereal. So great, like let's put them in a cereal where like the cereal still tastes really good. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that was kind of like the ethos in the beginning. It's all around like this belief that like, hey, I saw how powerful these mushrooms can be when I was eating them every day. How can I help other people experience these same results? And that's probably a really natural way to kind of sell your product is knowing yourself how it feels. It's not just like take this supplement or try this product and hoping that it works well. It's from personal experience. I'm sure that helps a lot. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The, the passion's real, man. So yeah, when we're when I'm just getting like kicked in the face some days, you know, I still can get up the next day because I'm still like, okay, like this is still cool and exciting. Mm, absolutely. And I want to hear as well. I know we talked about greatest challenge and greatest takeaway for the Ironman. Mm. These next for these next two things, I want to I want to hear your greatest challenge. So just a little pretext: you slept in a tent for two years outside. <laughs> yeah. So I want to hear your greatest challenge and your greatest takeaway from yeah. that whole experience. And just a quick note on that: so yeah, while I was building Forage, like I started buying like 50 pound bags of oats and all this other shit and would storing it in my room. And I had a couple other roommates and they were like, dude, you can build whatever you want. Just like, don't put it in the common space. So I was like, okay. So I got like metal racking and then I eventually threw out my bed because I needed more space for ingredient. And I moved into our backyard and I slept in a tent for two years in our backyard. Um, for me, it was awesome. I, I went through like 20 iterations and I had this full dialed in tent. Like I was sleeping so well out there. It was so cozy, totally dry. I was elevated off the ground. Um, so for me, it was actually like the best sleep I've ever had in my life. Um, sleeping outside, like in the fresh air, the biggest challenge for, for me was early on when I was like, just pitched a tent. It was during July. And in that August, it was the rainiest August on record and water caved in the top of the tent one night at like three in the morning and I just was soaked all my bedding was soaked and so there were a couple instances like that where you're like oh like I need a real structure over my head and you know it just was pretty upsetting um and then you know it probably probably wasn't like the best for my dating game but whatever <laughs> who cares so th- <laughs> gotta those go, were a couple gotta go of them, back but... to the tent after the first date <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah greatest thing like probably best sleep I ever had and the challenges were like yeah like weather is real and like I'm in a flimsy tent so like that definitely impacted me some nights uh, mother, mother nature was definitely she'll get you dude <laughs> a factor um and then a, a slight upgrade or I shouldn't say a slight upgrade but a quick change in um where where you sleep you were in a van for a year so you slept yeah. in a van for a year same thing greatest challenge greatest takeaway Yeah. So I was sleeping in the tent and then we started selling our products into different grocery stores around the United States. So I bought this like Japanese import. So the wheels on the other side of the vehicle and it's a pop-up camper. So you hit a button and like the roof comes up and I slept in that for about a year and I drove around the U S and sleeping in grocery store parking lots. Um, Ooh, greatest. I, I straight up have PTSD from the experience. I'm I like, I like went through like a good, like three, four month process of like, getting back to reality after that um i mean there were some freezing cold nights there were there were run-ins with the police there were run-ins with drugged out homeless people Mm -hmm. um there was it was really lonely i mean obviously so it was definitely like a massive mental mental like challenge and then when i got off the road it all kind of like crashed down so that that Mm -hmm. was like that was brutal um but it was cool and then kind of the biggest thing about it was like 
okay, I got to go see the US. Like I got to kind of live out a dream of living out of a van and it really helped the business. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, like I sacrificed and like put in some solid time to like get the business kind of to that next level and like mm-hmm. kind of put us on the map with with relevant people in the industry where it was like, nobody else is doing this. Like this is kind of crazy what this kid is doing. Um, and so it's like, you know, when you're trying to build something and get noticed in, in, a, in a place where there's a lot of noise, like you got to do things that nobody else is doing to, to get noticed. And, th- and that definitely was was really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when you were sleeping in the van correct me if I'm wrong, if you really wanted to have a conversation with someone, you were posting on LinkedIn, like a picture of yourself with like a whiteboard, you oh, use yeah. the whiteboard a lot. And, and you just be like, yeah. Hey, Hey, like X, Hey, Mrs. Or Mr. X, like I'm sleeping in a van, just trying to have a 15 minute, like, do you have 15 minutes? And like, think yeah. about the amount of people that email that person cold email, cold call, and how right. like, they just probably say no to everyone. Do you think that that led to connections that might not have been there because someone saw that request and we're like, I got to give this kid a shot. A thousand percent. Yeah. I definitely got some meetings from it. And then just like the story that lives on and and we still deploy the van. Like one of my colleagues is out in the van right now in Colorado and he's been out for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so like that lives on and like people really like that because, you know, people want to work with other people who like are interesting and are passionate. And it's like, we're not just going to sit here and cold call or like pray that our product sells off of your shelf. Like we're going to go sleep in your parking lot. So definitely. Yeah, definitely was, was a difference maker. hundred percent. And then I just got to ask quickly before we move on, are you in an apartment now? Dude, yeah, I am. I moved into uh, I moved into an awesome floating home in Seattle, and we got really lucky. I have a couple of roommates, and it's like a premier floating home, and it's super nice, which is awesome. What's a floating home? <laughs> it's just a home that floats. Have you ever seen Sleepless in Seattle? No. Okay, well, the main character lives in a floating home. Okay, I'll add it to add it to the list. But uh, <laughs> good to hear that you are uh, you got a a solid roof over your head now. I do. Um, it's nice, and kind of switching over to marketing. I I'd be really interested to hear both on the brand side and the personal brand side. I know you you referenced LinkedIn later and I do want to get to that, but starting with marketing of the forage product and brand. You have a niche product, but I imagine you want to reach as wide of an audience as possible. And I think today more than ever, you know, people want to eat healthy but not sacrifice, you know, food and and products that they actually enjoy the taste of as well. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your approach to marketing the product and maybe some of the challenges and maybe some of the the things you've learned along the way? Yeah. I mean, from a product standpoint, like for us, like awareness is a big challenge. It's like, why is your product make sense? Like mushrooms, you that's gross. And so there's a lot of just like careful messaging that has to be done. I think in general, like my approach to marketing both personally and on the brand, and it's something I've already even briefly touched on is like, you just have to be different and memorable. Um, and there's there's a lot of ways to achieve that, right? But like a lot of things we do aren't like super clean. Like I'm not gonna spend an hour making sure like something I put out is like perfect and looks really good. Like I am the type of person where it's like, let's just put something out. Like it could be super sloppy, but like I don't, I genuinely don't think people care, mm-hmm. honestly. Maybe some people do and maybe it hurts us in some ways, but um, that's like definitely my approach. So like from a product standpoint, um, we look at like, you know, we, we just kind of executed on a rebrand. And for us, it's like we are two objectives. We're like, how do we make it unique and memorable? That was it. Like, like that, those are just like the North stars. Um, so that's how I think about, you know, branding and like doing like, okay, like what 
is everybody else doing and, and what, you know, what, what aren't people doing and what can we do? Right. And, and again, it's just like, how do you stand out from, from that constant noise of what every other brand out there is doing? So like something as an example that I love is like in any in-person event and you also briefly touched on it or like for sampling, like I love the whiteboard to me, like the whiteboard is, is my favorite absolute marketing tool ever because you can put anything on the whiteboard. And so like, I'll go and I always bring a whiteboard and then I'll put like something that's like provocative or intriguing or relevant to, you know, the context or the environment or the society that I'm in mm-hmm. where it's like all the other branding, it's just like, Ooh, like look at us or like cool, clean images where it's like, huh, like a handwritten whiteboard, like stands out amongst that crowd. Um, so I love the whiteboard. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my like overall, I guess, broad thesis or, or opinion on just like marketing in general and, and really around our product. And then I know you asked about the personal branding stuff and like casting a wide net. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's like as I continue down the entrepreneurial journey, the, the one thing I've learned is like, A, I'm not thinking big enough. Like you're never thinking big enough. And then B, like you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And as even as an example, I, someone reached out to me last week who we're going to start selling like our products in Asia and like, they're going to do everything. Like we just ship it to the port and they will sell everything. And like, and like, this will be our largest, this will be our largest wholesale account in 2023. Think like six, seven figures potentially. And like, that is never something I would have ever thought of or ever gotten into because it's like Asia, that's fucking crazy. Like, I don't Mm. have the capability. Like, I don't know who's there. That sounds wild. I just need to stay focused here. And like that came to my doorstep because of putting out like personal content on LinkedIn every day and like just Mm -hmm. being consistent. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, to me, like I will put something on LinkedIn and and it's like, oh, a lot of people feel like, oh, is like, is this embarrassing or vulnerable? To me, I, I see it as an excuse to practice writing every day. So it's just like, how am I practicing writing? Like, I don't even care what I put on LinkedIn. It's just like practice writing, tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's like, get your awareness out there and let opportunities come in and then vet them and determine, okay, are these good opportunities or, or bad opportunities? Mm-hmm. And I think some people don't really understand that there are many benefits to posting more on LinkedIn or on social media platforms, but Sometimes people I know they don't know where to start and they don't and they say that you know they don't have the time for it. So maybe what are some things that have helped you be so successful on LinkedIn in addition to the consistency? Um, something I admire about your post is just your honesty and like authenticity. You don't just post all the major wins. You also are very honest about how you know hard some days can be. But I guess if you have any insights or advice that you would share to someone. Um, who wants to kind of start their journey posting, whether it be on LinkedIn or other platforms? Yeah. So, you know, l- what are other people posting? How how can you see what somebody else is posting and essentially steal that idea, but like with your own framing, right? I don't know, like go and just like, you have to start, right? Like with you, it's just like sign up and start, right? And commit to saying, okay, I'm going to post once every day this week. And it's hard, like it's not easy at first, but now like I don't plan anything that I post. I just like, I'm like, all right, what am I posting today? And then it's like, okay, here's a story that happened earlier this week. And now- now, as I experience life, I'm like, oh, this would be, this would be, could, could be interesting to share on LinkedIn. Like this is, this is content. This is fodder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's like, I'm, it's more of a mental mindset shift for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, what's somebody else posting that you think is good. Okay. Take it or reshare somebody else's post with some commentary or, um, 
you know, what are you reading about? Just share something that you found interesting or intriguing um, mm-hmm. and, and provide some commentary. Like, I think it can start there or share a story or any of those things. It's just like, how do you start? Like mm-hmm. whatever the easiest road to just posting, do that. Okay. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And I think one last thing I'd say is I saw um, someone who came on the podcast a few months ago who also just ran the marathon with me, Natalie Allport. She talked about using social media to be, because there's this kind of, I think, and this is kind of going down the kind of the detrimental effect sometimes of social media is like social media, like Instagram is not real life, right? It's a reflection of things that do happen in real life, but you know, the platforms themselves, LinkedIn itself isn't like reality, but you can use LinkedIn to share with your audience and your connections and your followers, cool things that you are doing in real life. So just kind of changing the mindset about how we think about social media, how we use social media to think more about, I'm going to do dope shit in real life. And then while I'm doing it, I'm going to talk about my takeaways things that I wish I'd known a week ago or a year ago. And I'm just going to completely use, you know, LinkedIn, for example, as kind of an outlet to reflect cool things that are actually happening in the real world. Yeah. And and, and just two points on that too. Like my favorite quote of the year, and I, and I say it all the time to all my friends. I say it to everybody in the company. I just say it all the time. Nobody wants to be sold, but everybody wants to buy. And so when you're putting out daily content, it creates an opportunity for people to buy, right? Versus like, if you're not, and you know, maybe you want something or like you're trying to sell something or, or get somewhere, like you have to go and sell versus if you're putting out content, it, it enables an ecosystem to buy. Um, so so, so that would be rule number one. And then my absolute also favorite, I saw this Instagram bio like six months ago and it still is just so good is it just said, don't worry, everything's curated on here. Like, and it's true, like everything's curated. Like, don't like, don't look into it and be like, wow, like whatever they're doing is way cooler than what I'm doing. Like that's because it's fucking curated. Like that's okay. Like whatever you're doing doesn't have to be super cool all the time and you don't Mm -hmm. always have to curate it, but that is how a lot of people are framing, you know, how they're posting is like has to be perfect and curated Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, stand out and just be who you are. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, One last question before we start to wrap up here and I kind of want to get mushroom specific. So when you're talking, kind of going back to looking at the product you're trying to sell, how do you use the public perception or the reputation of mushrooms to your advantage? Because I would imagine that most people might not know about all the different, you know, positive effects that mushrooms can have on, on someone's health and someone's, you know, day-to-day wellness. So how do you use that to your advantage? Do you feel like you should, in addition to selling and let, letting people know the awareness around your product also as a chance to educate? Yeah, it's so, yeah, I, to me, it's like people either think mushrooms are a drug, right? Uh, maybe a scary drug, maybe a good drug are going to kill them, are disgusting, or they're like, yeah, mushrooms are dope. And I under, and I know about mushrooms, right? <laughs> so that's typically like the framing that we're getting people into. And so for us, like, where we bring mushrooms into the conversation can be important. Um, So like we don't have the word mushroom on the front of our package. Like that's by design Mm -hmm. because that mushroom can be, or that can be really triggering. Mm -hmm. Um, I I will say like 
with you know fantastic fungi and mike poland's like how to change your mind and there's just a lot of like cool coverage going on of mushrooms and like psychedelics and like positive light like i will say uh, that awareness and that um perception is shifting to be positive towards mushrooms for sure mm -hmm. um and now it's like oh like whoa are these like psychedelic like cool and i'm like no they're, they're not uh but they have these other cool benefits and people are like oh, okay interesting and then oftentimes i'll explain like I, my personal belief is like all mushrooms are really great and have all sorts of different benefits for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But a good framing to think about mushrooms is, is there's essentially like four categories of mushrooms. You have like culinary mushrooms, which are like brown button mushrooms. You'd like saute them, right? You have functional or medicinal mushrooms, which is kind of where we focus. We also focus kind of in this brown button mushroom range, but just, you can think of them having like added benefits, right? Like mm -hmm. they'll help your brain cells grow or like they'll provide a good source of vitamin D. Um, you have psychedelic mushrooms, right? Which, which are more like, you know, like mind bending drug um, mushrooms and like they can be really powerful to help with like post-traumatic stress disorder, or, like get over depression. Um, and then, and then there's straight up lethal mushrooms. Like there are mushrooms out there that if you eat, like can be lethal because they will poison you. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a framing to, to just think about like, okay, what are the different categories of mushrooms that could exist in, in, in the general landscape? Right. Can you think of, and I just thought of this question, but can you think of another like food or beverage product that has that spectrum that it's like, you can, you can cook with it. It can make you trip. It can make you feel better or, and it can kill you. I don't know. I don't, but well, probably plants. Like I'm sure, I'm sure there's plants. Like, because fungi, right, is just a kingdom where, like, plants are a kingdom, animals right. are a kingdom. Right. So, sure, like, sure, the plant kingdom, you know, and, but that feels like a really broad answer to, to the question. I guess, like, maybe I was thinking, like, certain berries are, like, you can eat mm. them. I don't know about tripping, but I'm sure some are poisonous. I don't know. Yeah. But that that yeah, goes back to plants. So. I don't know. Very cool, though. Um, And then you talked a little bit about, on the psychedelic side of things, you've been recently certified to help as a peer assistant um, with people who are trying to microdose over a journey of usually four to six weeks, but you mentioned, you know, helping with PTSD or depression. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that experience so far? Yeah. So, you know, as, as I've been in the kind of functional mushroom space and like believe like people should be getting mushrooms into their diet, like psychedelics are still illegal. Um, but I've gotten connected with a lot of people in the space and like some certifying bodies where like there is a belief that you don't have to be a psychiatrist to help people go through who want to go through psychedelic trips and like they're trying to create a, a cohort and a community of people who can help administer and make sure people are being safe when they're using these drugs. And so I've been through the certification and something I've been like practicing now where like I will help people who want to go through psychedelic trips. And, and I really will focus on people who are more interested in microdose journeys. So mm -hmm. if you want a microdose, if you're like, hey, like I have some anxiety and I think microdosing can help, like I don't know where to start. Like I would, I'm, I don't sell psychedelics that, that isn't, that's illegal. I don't do that. But like, if mm -hmm. people are interested and, and want to find their own way there, like I will work with them to like, make sure they're prepared for the experience and we'll come in with an intention and make sure they're being safe. And like, or we'll ultimately try and help them get to that outcome that they're seeking while doing it in like a safe manner. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's something that like, you know, I've also been passionate about. Again, it's like, I think mushrooms provide benefits in so many different ways. And that's just another way where like, I've been able to kind of help Im impact and, and, and kind of help fulfill my own, you know, vision and sort of journey towards, you know, getting mushrooms into people's diets. Very cool. Very cool. We'll definitely be looking forward to kind of staying up with that um, as you continue to be involved with, with mushrooms on many different levels. Um, final two questions as we wrap up here, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone who maybe they have a passion to start a business or they're not sure where to start? 
when starting their own company, what is one piece of advice you would give to someone in, in that yeah. position? I mean, you just got to go step by step. And, you know, if you told me two years ago that I would be here doing this, I would be like, I doubt it. But um, you've got to be passionate. Like, it's got to be something where like, and you have to understand like, this isn't fun. So it's like, you have to find something you're, it really gets you up at the beginning of the day when you just know it's going to be a horrible day. <laughs> and, th and that's just the grand reality. So, you know, like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I want to start a company and like jump at any idea. And it's like, find something in an area like you're really interested in and then follow, follow your interest and follow opportunities in, in that space. Don't just jump at like, oh, I want to start something, like find mm -hmm. what you're really interested and passionate about first. So that's, that's probably my uh, general rule of, of thumb there. And then, you know, getting started, it's like, if you're, if you want to kind of like start down that direction, like go and work at a startup, like find something you're interested in and find startups in the space and then start working there. And like, that's a good place to be like, is this really a good fit for me? Or like, mm -hmm. do I really like this? Right. Or, or whatnot. And, and it can be a good place to get experience and, and just get more, um, kind of just more exposed to like what the lifestyle could actually be like and, and what it all looks like from the inside. Very cool. Appreciate that. And as much as you can tell us, I know you were talking a little bit about potentially having a, a, a big retail opportunity over in Asia. What's next for you and what's next for Forge? Yeah. So working on that, we, we've been investing a lot in like blog content. So we, we drive a lot of traffic now to our blog organically. So, you know, trying to figure out like, how do you, how do you service these people and like get them, you know, the solutions that they're reading about, like, like these mushrooms. Right. So that's kind of a big growth channel for us. We're raising some money, so that's always fun and doing that. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just like building and, and growing into different retail accounts. Like we're going out to, uh, dude, we're launching in, uh, we're launching in Shaw's. Really? That's yeah, so that'll time. be cool. Yeah. So like stuff like that, it's just like you know you gotta maintain and support, right? Just because your product gets on shelf, like doesn't mean shit. Uh, mm -hmm. You gotta mm -hmm. go figure out like how do you bring awareness to it and have people try it, and then okay, do people like it? Great, they gotta keep buying it. Like so that it's it's a grind. Very cool. Parker, we appreciate you taking the time today. Everyone should definitely check out Forage, buy some as well. Um, it's definitely something that Parker and his team are working really hard on. Um, at this time, though, the floor is yours. If there's anything else you'd like to add, anything we missed, any shout outs and where people can follow you and Forage along in the journey. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing particular. I think we covered a lot. If you want to follow the journey and look at sleeping in tents and whatnot, or other funny stuff we're getting into, LinkedIn's a good space for me. Just look me up, Parker Olson, or our website, forage.co.co. So it's F-O-R-I-J.co. Um, yeah, and so check us out. And uh, if you feel so inclined, reach out. And I usually respond to a lot of like LinkedIn DM stuff. So feel free. Awesome. Appreciate you taking the time, Parker. Thanks.